Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Living, a practical guide for living the open-handed life every day. And we are now in week five of Lent and our third week of quarantine. And last week we talked about taking responsibility for our hearts and moving from a troubled heart to a trusting heart. And today I want to talk about the process of finding a new normal and how to become holy through that process. You know, we are all facing new circumstances right now. Everybody is. So there's new difficulties, but there's, there's new opportunities probably is the way we should think about that. Um, each, each person's situation is different. My personal um, difficulties or opportunities are, you know, now I've got Brooklyn back home full time. And so now I'm back in charge of educating two people now virtually, you know, they're online a lot. Um, I've got to provide three meals a day for five adult dish type people, which has really increased our grocery budget. Uh, and also the time that I'm expending, you know, in that way is a little different. Um, I'm trying to teach violin through Zoom. That's hilarious. I've never tried that before. Um, my kids are taking Taekwondo through Zoom. Um, and of course, we're all trying to figure out how to have virtual church and, and, and how to lead the church, you know, virtually, you know, it's, it's really kind of fun, but also there's a lot, there's a lot of difficulty in that. There's a lot to learn. You know, you have your own list. We're all in the same boat. Everybody has stuff going on. I don't know what it looks like for you in your own life. I mean, perhaps you're single, you live alone and now you're working from home. And though you can talk ear to ear or, you know, over zoom to people, you haven't had a personal human touch in three weeks or perhaps you're single and you have a household and you know two of you are now working from home and the third person doesn't have any work right now they don't have any money coming in because you know they don't have the ability to work right now or perhaps you're a single mom and you're you gotta still work but your child is home from school and yeah I'm not sure how that is how he's supposed to work um, or you're a mom that's you know um, accustomed to saying goodbye to everybody at 8 a.m. in the morning, I think I said this last time, and then get all, getting all the stuff done that you're supposed to get done. But now you've got everybody there, and you know, you probably got five devices going at the same time. I think that's what we had today. You know, one, one at the dining room table, one in the kitchen, one in the living room, one in the den, you know, one in the bedroom, whatever. I mean, it's a lot of people to have around all day. Or perhaps you're an empty nester and you haven't gotten to touch, cuddle with your grandbabies or even your children in three weeks. Um, or maybe you're a homeschooler mom and you know not much has changed for you. Your husband is still working or whatever, but you've had to grieve the loss of stuff that you were expecting. Maybe a graduation of your child, a, a big you know concert that was coming up, an anniversary trip, um, lots of things being canceled, you know, that just grieving that. Um, or maybe you're a teen and you've been cooped up with your little brothers and sisters for all this time. <laughs> And you, uh, it's been like a long time now with your no sports and no choir and no music and no theater and no friend time and all of that, you know, no change of scenery, you know, be, uh, Brooklyn and I were going to, I said, do you want to walk with me? I'm going to go down to CVS because I had to get some things, you know, she was like, oh yes, it'll be good to get out of the house. I was thinking this poor kid has not been, <laughs> she hasn't really been anywhere. I mean, we walk around our neighborhood, but you know, she's like, yes, CVS. Anyway, so there's all sorts of circumstances going on right now, right? And all sorts of feelings. So practically speaking, what is the holy life supposed to look like through it all? I mean, seriously, are we supposed to be going for a monastic feel? You know, picturing the, you know, the monks 
um, you know, praying the offices and you know, singing Gregorian chant, you know, I don't think so. Obviously not. I mean, most of us, some of us are knee deep in diapers. You got peanut butter and jelly stains on your walls and you're, you know, you find goldfish daily in the couch cushions. <laughs> so I don't think we're going to be having that lifestyle. I think where we have to start is the one thing that we have in common is that we are all known and we are all seen by God. God is aware of our particular circumstances and he is intimately acquainted with our hearts. A cool thing about this is that he has a specific design for each of us. There's not going to be any cookie cutter methods here. And, you know, I think it's just really cool um, that God can cause one thing to happen in the world. But he can have a trillion different outcomes. You know, each one of us has a specific lesson and a, to learn during that time and specific things that he's been wanting us to work on or wanting us to change or wanting us to discover, um, you know, wanting us to enjoy. He's been trying to get these things into us, but now he has this opportunity and there's a trillion different ones. Each plan will be like an original piece um, of art, a unique work of art. You know, it does seem that the Bible supports the idea of living a holy life in the midst of real life. If you think about the Proverbs 31 woman, now this is the passage that um, for centuries and millennia, really, that the um, the Jewish people have read at every Sabbath, you know, so every week the family has heard this. It talks about the Proverbs 31 woman, and I know you are familiar with this woman. If not, stop the recording right now and go and read it, but I'm sure you have. But you think about her daily life, everything that's mentioned. She oversees the affairs of her household. She's buying and selling, and she's clothing everybody, and cooking food, and decorating, and working and instructing and supporting and laughing through it all, right? She's all of those things. And as I read that, I'm always struck by the fact that everything she's doing does seem to feel significant to God. It was significant enough for him to put those things in the Bible. He goes, this is our real life. You know, we have to be doing these things. This is normal life. And I think that it, what I like about it is that it elevates the regular mundane things of life to a place of spirituality. It's not that we have secular activities and spiritual activities. It's that everything is spiritual. And so we take all of our regular average everyday life, our cooking and our cleaning and our um, parenting life, and we bring it and put it on the altar as a fragrant offering to God. You know, we live our lives as living sacrifices. We offer our lives as living sacrifices. And that elevates the importance of every single thing that we're doing and learning. And I'm not talking about taking yourself too seriously, but I'm talking about um, taking your average life and making it meaningful, making it purpose purposeful and uh, lifting it up. It is, it is spiritual. Um, it would seem that buying and selling and cooking and cleaning and instructing and wise counsel are all equally spiritual tasks and they're all valuable to God. So I think it does start with this mindset that your life is important. You are important. Your activities, your responsibilities, and your talents are valuable and they are interesting to God. That is why in Colossians 3.17 it says, And whatever you do, whatever you do in word and deed, 
do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And again, in Ephesians, you're familiar with this, Ephesians 6, it says, serve wholeheartedly. It's talking to slaves here. Serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not men. All these tasks we're doing, all these things that we do in life, we are doing them to the glory of God. We're not doing them merely for men, because later on in Colossians 3, it says, whatever you do, work with it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. That elevates everything that we do above what anybody else thinks about it. And it, it puts us in a place where we're actually um, sacrificing and living and offering our daily lives to God. Okay. You know, there is no race to be the best with God. There's no competition for his attention or his favor. That's a very American thing, you know? We have we have a competitive spirit. That's a human thing, not just an American thing. But it's a human thing. We have a competitive spirit. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like we're working to be the best. You know, I gotta be the best at this or it's not worth it, you know? That's my big gripe about um, always sort of I know it's kind of cool to see little kids who can do, you know, really amazing things because they've been given some talent. Like Mozart was composing um, symphonies when he was three. And, and that's for real because he was a gift. It, his talent was a gift from God. But when they put Mozart on display like that, it actually didn't serve him. Um, when he was, you know, the really neat, he was like the, the newest thing and his dad would take him around to all the towns and, and it, you know, watch the kid play, you know, and it would just be this amazing thing. And it actually did not help him. He died a very early death and um, it didn't help him in his life. And I think that, you know, it's kind of cool to think about kids doing things at young age, but I'm also like, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal how old you are. It's not a race. It's not a competition. So you play, the, you play the Mozart concerto uh, when you're 13, good for you. If you play it when you're 53, good for you. Maybe even better. You know, it's not a race. It's only about companionship. That's what it is. The companionship of a creator and his creation. All of this time and all of our efforts and all of our tasks are really just about getting to spend time with our maker. He is not interested in who wins. He is not interested in that. You have already found favor with God. You are already his favorite. If that makes is that amazing? If that is that an amazing thought because he's perfect. So, um I think that this is what is meant by and if you look over in John 15, of course I'm I am in John these days. And I just wanted to read this section that really um, stuck with me. If we start reading in verse 9, it says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. And let's just stop right there because anytime you see us so that, you should circle it. He's talking all about obedience. He's talking about that when we, when we obey, when we are, you know, following God's teachings, that we are, um, we are abiding in God. We are remaining in his love. And the reason that he even wants us to do that is so that we will be filled with joy. You know, it's not so that we would be filled with guilt or fear or shame. 
No, it's so that we would be filled with joy because that's where all the joy lies is in this great, amazing companionship with God. Um, let's go on. It says, yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's own life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Because and I no longer call you slaves. Because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You know, he's saying, it's, you know, even though later on Paul talks about how he's a slave for Christ, you know, um, a slave to righteousness. If he's going to be a slave, let me be a slave to righteousness, not a slave to sin. But, you know, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to think of yourselves that way. I don't want you to think of yourselves, I'm the master and do what I say. It's a misrepresentation of the heart of God. That is not the way that God is. He wants to be a friend. He wants us to abide in him, in his companionship, in his friendship. Um, let's finish that. It says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I just, that's enough reading from right there. But I just, I'm struck by these things. I'm struck by the thought of being friends, that Jesus wants to be my friend. Why? <laughs> that's the first thing I think of. It's like, wow, that, he's not ashamed of me. He's not ashamed of you. He wants to hang out with you. And then the other thing that I think of is how he says, you know, a master, it's not master-slave because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. And what that's, you know, indicating is that that Jesus does confide in us, that God wants to confide in us. I've told you everything that the Father told me, he says. Is that amazing? We get to know God, yada, right? That's that bema thing, the, to yada, God. That's that same way that a man knows a woman, that, that intimate relationship, that romantic relationship. God is wanting that with us. Jesus is saying, I want to be your friend. So he's calling us to be his friends. It's all about his love, all of that. And, you know, too many times I think, I think of I'm, I'm on a mission for God. You know, I'm living for God instead of I'm on a mission with God. I'm living with God. And, you know, I have to correct myself daily on that. We can all fall into it from time to time. Um, but God wants us to figure out this with. He wants us to figure out the with. He knows that we're all right now in search of this new normal. And so what I want to convince you right now is I want to convince you of the thought of doing it with God. He definitely has in mind a long-term change for you. He wants to make long-term changes in our life through this season, hopefully that will last. Not just things to change to get through this time, but things to learn through this time that affect the time after, things that we can keep, so perhaps changing some things um, for all time. You know, I know this is true for me um, because as embarrassing as it is to admit, <laughs> I have discovered that even in a time when absolutely everything is canceled, I can still overbook myself. <laughs> I started dying laughing the other day, like, because I found myself, I had, I had said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And, at the, and I was like, what the heck was I thinking? I tried to do all this stuff in one day. What in the world will I ever change? Like, oh, I just, I just 
I had to start laughing. Um, but God got my attention through that. And, you know, uh, even though I have spent, um, I, you know, practically two decades in pursuit of the elusive, balanced schedule, um, I have t decided to take, at this time, a different approach, to approach it a bit differently. You know, I can definitely fall um, prey to, I'm, I'm a victim of, no, maybe not a victim of, let's see, I can fall into regularly um, this worship of an ideal, okay, absolutely, I'm, that's my temperament, is I look at the ideal, and then I'll start bowing down to this ideal. I, you know, the balanced schedule, the perfect thing, you know, the perfect schedule. Those of you who've been homeschooling for a while, you know, you have these schedules, and you just think, it's going to go great. You know, yeah, if you're homeschooling robots, you know, if you could just go ahead and, you know, plug in the uh, the right things, the right thing. If, if they weren't human, and if I was a robot, sure, everything would go great, you know. I'm always looking for that, and I can bow down to that. And I, But I've been praying so fervently these days like God I I know I need to get these things done I know that um, there are Proverbs 31 things to do and I want to do them well and I want to live a life of sacrifice and I want to offer them to you but I want to worship you and not the tool I want to worship God and not the schedule so having said all of that I wanted to take you through this journey that I kind of went on First of all, okay, so this is what I did. I spent a couple days, honestly, all I did was just focused on my friendship with God. And I would picture Jesus being with me during all of my chores. Now, I didn't try to change anything. I just kept doing whatever I was doing, you know, however I was doing it, which was really flying by the seat of my pants, really. But I just spent these couple days just being with Jesus during all the chores, all the cooking, all the reading, all the teaching, etc. I would keep bringing my mind back to picturing him with me, laughing, and this is how I pictured him, laughing and joking and rolling his eyes, if if God does that, <laughs> in a funny way, um, and as well as showing me how to do something and the right way, how to do something with the, in the right way but with the right spirit. So I was doing it with him, if that translates, and it felt good. I'll just tell you that. It felt really good. Um, and then I kind of picture, so I moved out of that, just being together and sort of practicing his presence in the right way. And then I moved into picturing myself as his apprentice. Um, you know, it's kind of the old timey word, or maybe, you know, an intern. I'm his intern. Um, I sort of pictured it like on, on the job training, honestly. Um, like I had an internship, like I was there to observe and take notes of how he was unfolding things throughout the day. And, um, you know, it's kind of like some, there's some weight loss programs, they'll say, just write down your food, don't change anything, don't eat differently, just write, write down what you're eating right now. And I kind of looked at it like that, like I'm just going to observe what God is doing right now. And I'm, I literally would just watch how he worked things out and kind of take note of them. And not kind of take note of them. I kind of took notes on my phone, on my notes. I took notes. Um, you know, and I, I watched, like, what, okay, what happened with the morning routine? What worked and what didn't? Without judging myself, okay. What about lunch? You know, because, you know, you're going to be tempted to judge yourself because you, you mess up so much, you know. And then you, you start, and then it creates a spiral you don't want. Um, what about lunch? What about after school time? What about dinner time? Um, what issues keep coming up? 
Okay, so to give you examples of issues that come up around our house, so I have no idea if this is actually going to speak to anybody else. So we have an ongoing argument about who drank the last of the whatever, the soda. We have, we have very rarely do we have soda, so it's like a really big deal in our house. But there's always an argument about soda. Always. <laughs> or what? Or who gets the bathroom first in the, in the morning? Because evidently there's a hot water, you know, problem. So um, uh, we also have our issues with getting out of bed. Like, I don't know how, and I said this at Mother's Ministry, if you know how to get your kids out of bed, let me know. Um, also, whose turn is it to clean up after the meal? All these things. These are our typical things that become issues. So I, w I behaved as a student. I just like decided I'm a student. I'm going to learn. I'm going to have a notebook and I'm going to have a pen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an attentive posture, you know, things we would tell our kids, you know, be responsible, wake yourself up if you start dozing off. Um, and I just would always bring myself back to watch what God's doing, observe, you're a student, watch what he's doing, look how he's doing this, because God knows what he's doing. Um, it, and I wanted to say, it is not about information. Now, I have had, I have probably read literally over 100 books on family, on planning, on um, good stewardship, on time management, on all of the stuff, you know, and you have your fair share. And I will just say, it is not about information. We all have enough information. If it were really a problem of information, it, we would have absolutely no more problems in this age of information. <laughs> we have all the information we need. If weight loss was about information, there would be nobody as overweight. It's not about that. Or it, it, we don't need any more information. What we need is transformation. Through this, so, th through all of this, I had to remember, it's not about reading another book or watching another video or what, la, 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 la. It is really just about listening to God's voice. Um, and through all this, God showed me um, kind of how he wanted me to arrange the basics of the day, the basic rhythm of the day. And what I mean by that is it's no details yet. All it is is the broad structure. It's when are we going to wake? What are the waking times? When are the eating times? What are the working times? And what are the resting times? Now, you might think, wow, this sounds so, I, you know, easy. I haven't found it to be that easy. <laughs> so um, I just stuck with those four things, my waking times, the eating times, the working times, and the resting times. And I kind of observed, like, um, that, for example, in order to have a relaxing dinner movie time okay right now we are we are watching um jonathan had this idea that we would watch all of the uh what's it called what are they called the marvel movies in order so we're watching all the marvel movies in order and i know a lot of you are cracking up at me right now because i've never been a fan of the superhero stuff so here i am i'm watching all the marvel movies in order um and so our dinner time has become this like hey let's watch so we, we can only watch like half of a marvel movie at a time they're long some of them are really long so anyway but in order for that to be a relaxing, enjoyable time, um, I had to work that backwards and realize that if we're going to be doing that at 5.30 or 6, which is kind of how it works out, we needed to start our cleanup and shower and thing, all of the stuff that you have to, you know, sort of transition out of the, out of the daytime at 4 o'clock, which was a little shocking to me. Because the truth is that all the stuff that kind of needs to be cleaned up and, clean, and done Really, it shouldn't take more than 15 to 30 minutes. And don't ask me why it does. It just does. 
it just takes, you just got to plan in ample time. Um, it doesn't matter if a task should take t 10 minutes. If, if a child is learning to become, if, that, if they're learning to internalize that task, if they're learning to become responsible for that task, um, you're going to need 30 minute window. That's just a little freebie for you. Okay. Um, I also observed that in order to be set up for school by 8.45 a.m., the kids needed to be up at 7.15 a.m. And I really did experiment with a lot of different waking schedules. And we finally landed on something that actually works for us. And what I mean by that is in order for us to be ready uh, with a happy spirit, with sort of a good mood, that it hasn't been all negative all morning, then we're going to you know, need to get ready. We're going to have to get up at 7.15. I also observed that without incentives, teenagers will not get out of bed. So it may be maybe even people that are older than in than their teens but in my situation um, me and Jay are getting up out of bed it's everybody else in the house is not quite ready to get out of bed so God sort of gave me this I observed this and I know it's something it's a phenomenon you probably have observed but I God kind of gave me this non-punitive consequence based solution to that so there's no arguing about it we don't have to worry about it if you do this if you get out of bed and you do all this stuff then, you know, this, this is the consequence, which is a good one. And if you don't, this is the consequence. But we don't have to argue about it. So there's no, none of that. And I love that. Um, we discovered little things like eating lunch together as a family was much better for our connection as a family. Like, um, that's better for us than it eating at various times. Like everybody's on their own doing their own thing. It was better if we had that connective time right in the middle of the day. And now we connect for about 30 minutes right in the middle before we all go back to our work. Um, and it kind of works out that we, we have this little British baking show that we're watching. I don't know if you guys watch that, but you can usually watch like one of the challenges in that time and it's kind of fun. Um, so this whole process, and there was more that's just, you know, I'm just trying to give that, those examples to you. And of course, all my examples are about family life with children. I realize not all of you have children. This may be, I don't, I don't know how helpful this is going to be, to be quite honest for everybody. It's a very practical lesson. It's what God's doing with me, so I'm doing it. Um, but to me, what this was like was like, you know, when you work a puzzle, which we've worked, uh, we're on our second puzzle now, second thousand piece puzzle, um, during this quarantine time. It's so fun. But you know when you get the edge pieces put together? I'm an edge piece person. So I like to get the edge pieces all put together so I have a frame for my puzzle. And then I kind of work my way in. And that's exactly what God did with this, is he gave me a frame for my day. So with those four things, the, what was it, the waking and the eating and the working and the resting, I now have a frame. I don't have any details. I don't have all the details. I have some, but I don't have all of them. I just have a frame. And since then, since I got that put into place, God has gently shown me kind of how to work my way in towards the middle. And I get a few details at a time, um, like when and how to check schoolwork, how to organize the chores, you know, what a doable ministry schedule would look like, etc. But, you know, it is a gentle process. And it's going to be slow. It's, you know, because this is at least a thousand piece. But my life is at least a thousand piece puzzle. <laughs> um, so it's unrealistic to think that this is all going to be put together really quickly. So right now, it's okay that it's not done. It's okay to have the, the edge pieces put in. 
It's okay that I might not even be able to fit new ones in on any given day. I can work on it a little bit at a time and it really is okay. And when you, if, you're, if you're knowledgeable working puzzles, you kind of, the next thing you do after that is you kind of look for the big chunks of things. And I usually do that. You don't go to the little detail pieces. You go, oh, there's a big, you know, red ball over here. I'm going to do the red ball. Or there's, you know, a giraffe. That's, I can put that together because it's big. And, but all these little details, they, they have to come last. So you kind of picture yourself working the puzzle of your life. You gotta let God and enjoy it though. That's the whole point. Do this with God. Let this be a time that you grow in your friendship with God. Um, and let him work the puzzle with you, you know? And at the end of the day, um, you know, just count your blessings and celebrate what did get done. You didn't get the whole puzzle done, fine. But what did get done? You're, you're, you're probably further along than you were yesterday. Always celebrate that. I know I say it all the time, broken record there. Um, you know, to me, this time truly is about learning how to keep in step with the Spirit. And, you know, new things are coming from me learning to be kind of a dance partner. That's the way I look at that. Whenever I've read that scripture, I always say, keep in step with the Spirit. That means, you know, the Holy Spirit is supposed to be leading the dance. You're supposed to be a good, you know, dance partner. You're supposed to be following, not leading all the time. <laughs> I would probably, you know, take over and try to lead. Uh, but good things have come from this. I've been learning, you know, in my character, like I told Jay this morning, I said, because some interaction had happened with one of the kids, and I said, well, I didn't know what to do, so I didn't do anything. And What's so funny about that is that in the past, be like, I didn't know what to do, so I did this. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know why I'm like that. Like, why would I just do something if I didn't know what to do? I just don't know what to do, so I'm going to do this. But then I just decided, you know, I'm going to be different. I didn't know what to do, so I didn't do anything. Probably a lot better off with that. Um, and the way I look at that with my puzzle analogy is I stop trying to cram pieces that should, you know, fit here. Sometimes you go, you find a piece and you're like, that should go, that should go right there. And it just doesn't. There's just something off about it. It's, you've got something off. It doesn't go there. And stop trying to cram it in there. Stop trying to fit it into place. And I've learned kind of to stop pushing. Um, I've also learned to start asking the right questions. This is something I'm learning right now, learning to how to ask the right questions. And that is kind of a bigger lesser lesson for another time. It's its lesson unto itself. But I did want to share this quote with you by Alice Frying, I think is how you pronounce her last name. And she is a, oh, she's an author, um, a spiritual advisor. She does a lot of Enneagram stuff, but she has a lot of helpful stuff to say. And I found this quote. It says, the question asked is not what should be happening in my life, but what is happening in my life? The present moment, the present set of circumstances, the present relationships in our lives. This is where God lives. This is where God meets us and gives us life. And this is such a good thing for me to continually remind myself of because I'm a should I'm a should person. This should be this way. It should be like that. Should God should be. And God can only work in our real lives. If you want your real life to change, then you have to face your real life, not the should be life, you know, if that makes any sense. So I know this is a very practical lesson and was especially, you know, probably too much about being a mom. Um, that is kind of where I live right now. But I hope you were able to gain something, whether you're single or married or an empty nester or a mom or not. I hope you're able to get some nugget out of here that will help you to grow in your friendship with God. Until next time. Mm -hmm.